known as Bull Run, July 21st, 1861. Three months later, another Union force was trounced at the Battle of Ball's Bluff, October 21st, 1861. Southern armies had their panic-stricken moments as well as did the Union. One Confederate rout occurred at what is called Cedar Creek, Virginia, October 19, 1864. It was a pivotal loss as it went a long way toward President Lincoln's reelection. Another strategic defeat transpired on the second day of the Battle of Nashville, December 16, 1864. After the Confederate left flank, bro left flank broke down, panic swept through all of the ranks in line of the battle. The entire force was soon in full retreat, and it never regained its effective fighting capacity after that day. When a soldier is in fear of his or her life, sometimes what happens, more often than not, is that they will just freeze up or they will run away. The drive for self-preservation and self-protection in all of us is very strong. This is especially true if the opponent is bigger, faster, and stronger, and better equipped than we are. And sometimes you just melt before it ever happens. I remember some years ago when the uh, Redmond football team was rolling over everything in its path, that one time Oberlin came, the Red Devils came to town, and uh, I was still filming for the football team at that time, so I was uh, in the end zone and on the sideline. I happened to be on the sideline of the Red Devils, and there was a man there taking pictures for the Red Devils, and uh, he happened to be a, a physician from Oberlin. We struck up a conversation, and I said, well, how are you feeling about the game? He said, not very good, and as you can see, we're not doing very well. I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, you know, our guys are pretty good this year, and lots of people are feeling that way. He said, no, you don't understand. He said, my boys lost the battle when they stepped off the bus here at Hubbard Stadium this, this afternoon. Well, they just opened the door of that bus, and as they walked off, you could see they were losing with every step that they took before they ever got their pads on, before they ever went out. And, and they did lose uh, terribly that day. But the point is this. They had heard a reputation. They had understood that there could be trouble, and they melted before it ever got to the battle out on the gridiron. So the point is this, we need something in life that will help us understand that we're not on our own, that we don't have to do it on our own, that God is with us and God cares about us and God will help us. We need his power. Uh, what people can cause us to do when it comes to fear is unbelievable. And people do just melt or they run away or they can't stand in the battle. Imagine, if you will, if the dread uh, came upon you as one of God's enemies experienced the dread that came on them when God supernaturally sent the dread of the people of Israel on all of their enemies. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we come near the end. God will sometimes melt the hearts of an enemy who think they are stronger, who think they're more powerful and quicker and have a greater war machine. And these particular armies melted into nothing uh, as the battle went on because God made them afraid of Israel. The day is going to come around Damascus that the enemies of Israel will come against her uh, near the end of time when we're looking at the tribulation period. 
and the army is going to be fierce, it's going to be overwhelming, and it's going to be coming against Israel, and God will supernaturally defeat them. Now that's yet to come. And the dread of Israel will be upon them, and they will fold. Well, uh, things like that happen, even if God doesn't mention it, but in fact, today he does mention it in this passage. So I want to look at all of chapter 8 together, so let's read it, and here's what it says. I'm reading from uh, the New American Standard in my translation. Esther chapter 8. On that day, Ahasuerus, his other's, other name is Xerxes, gave the house of Haman. Remember, Haman's dead. He's hanging on a 75-foot pole, impaled there, actually, uh, in his own backyard, and that's because the king had him put to death. And, and anyway, he gives away his house. He is the enemy of the Jews. To Queen Esther and Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had disclosed what he was to her. So here's my cousin, king. He's also my adopted father. And this is Mordecai, the guy that uh, saved your life, by the way. In verse 2, the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken away from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai above and over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king, fell at his feet, wept, and implored him to avert the evil scheme of Haman the Agagite and his plot which he had devised against the Jews. The king extended the golden scepter to Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king. Then she said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor before him, and the matter seems proper to the king, and I am pleasing in his sight, let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all of the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the calamity which will befall my people, and how can I endure to see the destruction of my kindred? So King Ahasuerus said to Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given the house of Haman to Esther, and him they have hanged on the gallows, or they have impaled him, because he stretched out his hand against the Jews. Now, by the way, Xerxes understands what's really been going on and what Mordecai was afraid of and what Haman was after. So he just says it here. He goes on to say, Behold, I have given the house of Haman uh, to Esther, and they have hanged him on this impaling pole because he stretched out his hand against the Jews. Now you, and he's speaking to Mordecai, you write to the Jews as you see fit. The Hebrew is better here. It says, according to the good that is in, in your eyes. The king's name, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's signet ring, which the king just gave him. For a decree which is written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's signet ring may not be revoked. Now understand, Esther just got through asking the king, revoke the former command that was written in your name and sealed with your signet ring. The law says that can't happen. And so he reminds us in the law of the Persians in verse 8, that may not be revoked. So the king's scribes were called all at the same time in the third month, that is the month Sivan, on the 23rd of, the, of that day, of that month, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces, which extended from India to Ethiopia, or India to Cush, 127 provinces, to every province according to its script, to every people according to their language as well as to the Jews according to their script and their language. 
He wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring, and they sent letters by courier on horses riding on steeds that had been sired by the royal stud. In them the king granted to the Jews who were in each and every city the right to assemble and to defend their lives. Now listen for the exact reversal of what Haman said that non-Jews could do to them. And here's what he wrote. To destroy, to kill, and annihilate the entire army of any people or province which might attack them, including children and women, and to plunder their spoil. God is taking exactly what Haman was going to do to the Jews, turned it upside down, and exactly that's what the Jews are going to get to do on that day against their enemies if the enemies come against them. So he says in verse 12, on one day in the province of King Ahasuerus, the 13th day of the 12th month, that is Adar, which is the day Haman set for the slaughter of the Jews, they get to, they get to fight back. A copy of the edict was issued as a law in each and every province and published to all the people so that the Jews would be ready for this day to avenge themselves on their enemies. That's an important phrase. Verse 14, the couriers hastened and impelled by the king's command went out riding on the royal steeds and the decree was given out at the citadel of Susa, which is where the king and the queen are at right now. Verse 15. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a large crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced, a little different than when Haman would walk out. For the Jews, there was light and gladness and joy and honor because God is giving them a chance to save their families. The last verse. In each and every province and in each and every city, wherever the king's commandment and his decree arrived, there was gladness and joy for the Jews and a feast and a holiday. And many among the people of the land became Jews for, here it is, notice, the dread of the Jews had fallen on them. That's mentioned again in chapter 9 and verse 2. God has done a work and he has sent the dread of the Jews into the hearts of all the people that thought they were going to get to kill them on the 13th of Adar. Now let's look at some things in our text, verses 1 and 2. What we're going to learn for ourselves is that God will vindicate and bless his children over their enemies. Now, that may not mean today, it may not mean tomorrow, but it certainly is going to be that way in the future when God makes the enemies of his children bow down to them and admit, you were right about God and I was wrong. Now, let's see some of that. Uh, Isaiah 49, 23. Isaiah 49, 23. God predicts this in Isaiah 49, 23. Kings will be your guardians, and their princes your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth. They will lick the dust of your feet, and you will know that I am Yahweh. Those who wait hopefully for me will not be put to shame. I want you to look over at chapter 60 of Isaiah, where we have a, a promise that is similar to this one. In verse 14, Isaiah 60, 14. <clears throat> The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you, and all those who despise you will bow themselves at the soles of your feet, and they will call you the city of Yahweh, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Now let's look at a couple in the book of Revelations in the New Testament, in Revelation, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 9, 
Revelation 3, verse 9. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan, see, you're either with Yahweh or Jesus, or you're with Satan, there is no middle ground. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. That I have loved you. One more, and that is Revelation chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, where we see uh, an indication of the great power of God. These are those who were martyred or put to death for the name of Jesus within the tribulation. And they are under the altar of the Lord in heaven, and they are crying out. They cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren, who were yet to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed. God is in control. God is in control of people who are martyred and people who are not martyred. God is in control of those who succeed and those who do not succeed. But what we need to know is that God is the power behind us and we can trust in him. Ahasuerus, going back to verses 1 and 2, gives all the property that Haman owned to Queen Esther and her power. Uh, Two historians, both Josephus and Herodotus, pointed out that if a person was found to be a traitor in the land of Persia, all of his belongings would be confiscated by the government. So these were all taken by the king, King Xerxes. They're now his to do with what he wants, and he gives them to the persons that Haman hated the most. I don't think, you know, once, once he realized the queen was a Jewish person, uh, everything inside of him turned to terror. Now, I believe he probably hasn't paid all that silver, 750,000 pounds of silver. Uh, Esther gets all of that, gets control over his household, over Zeresh, his wife, over his 10 sons. That will not end well for them and over everything that he has. Remember, he was a very wealthy person in the land. Everything that belonged to Haman uh, is now under the control of Esther. And I think probably all that silver as well. Now the queen reveals her relationship to the man who saved the king's life. He knows the name of Mordecai, but he did not know that Mordecai was the adoptive father of Queen uh, Esther of Hadassah. Didn't know it. And uh, now he's got that knowledge and he knows it. And Mordecai is also her cousin who adopted her. We can now see that God, what he was doing when he placed in the heart of Mordecai, don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. Keep that quiet. Keep it a secret. I don't know if Mordecai knew why or had a good reason for doing that. For some reason he said it, but I can tell you this. God put it in his heart, and so he did it. And now we can see, wow, this is really working out great because God is in it. Note that the author again relates to us that Haman is an enemy of the Jews. That's a theme in the Bible and still a theme today. There are lots of people in history and lots of people today that are enemies of of the cross of Christ and of the throne of God. And what the Bible tells us over and over is that this is what happens to the enemies of God. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, just like Jesus said of Satan and and his cronies, today is the day of your power, and I'll be given over to your power. But that's not going to last forever. God is the one in charge. God is the one in power. 
Well, in verse 2, without further explanation, the king just gives Mordecai the signet ring that may still be warm from the hands of Haman that he took it off of, and now Mordecai is in that position. Second most powerful man in the land of Persia, 127 different provinces, many nations. When Haman was killed, the ring was removed. It went back on the king's hand, and now it's on Mordecai's hand. Also, Esther gives control of Haman's possessions to Mordecai. See, the queen is not without some power and authority. She certainly has some. Everything has come full circle for Mordecai and for his enemy Haman where he was concerned. Maybe Mordecai never bowed down to Haman because he knew what kind of a snake he really was on the inside. And the words of Proverbs 13, 22b, meaning the second half of that verse said this, and the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. The wealth of the sinner shall be stored up for the righteous. Now verses 3 to 8. I think what I want us to learn here, I think what the text teaches us, is that we must work for the benefit of others around us, not just for ourselves. We must work for the benefit of others around us, not just work for ourselves. It's not about just you and your immediate family getting through this. It's about you and everybody else you can help getting through. In verse 3, now it's time to take care of the larger threat to the people of the nation of Israel. See, the king, through Haman, wrote about a death sentence for the entire nation of the Jews. That hasn't changed. That's still in vogue. They're still looking forward to the 13th of Adar when the Jews can't defend themselves, and we just attack them, men, women, and children, and whatever they have, we can just take. Everybody is still looking forward to that because that's law. It can't be changed. And Esther is going to try to deal with that. So probably Mordecai and Hadassah would have been safe, but the rest of the Jews come 13th of Adar, they're in trouble. The queen falls again before the king for the third time, and she pleads with him to stop the killing of the people of the Jews, to stop the killing of those she's related to, her kinsmen. In verse 4, the king extends the golden scepter to her, this time to indicate that he will deal with her request. And so the scepter goes out, she touches it, she stands up, and she tells him exactly what it is that she wants. In verse 5, her address is formal, it is humble, it is respectful, and personal. And if the king is pleased, if she found favor in his sight, again, the matter seems proper to him, in other words. And if she personally is pleasing to him, please revoke that other order that Haman has sent out. She will bring up the matter, but ask the king to only do it if he thinks it is the proper thing to do. In the Hebrew text, the word proper means that which is advantageous, that which is suitable. So she leaves it up to the authority, which is her husband. She asks that Haman's orders be revoked, but we already know, according to the law of the Persians, that anything that the king says should happen and his signet ring is on it cannot be revoked. She is asking for a lot. Xerxes, however, as he considers this matter, will not just save Mordecai and Esther, but he will save all of the Jews, and he will also which never was in the playbook before. See, if you can't defend yourself and they come to kill you, you just get killed. But now there's going to happen this, this decree where they can come to try to kill you, but you can fight back and you can kill them. 
Now everybody's thinking twice about maybe we don't want to attack the Jews. God in heaven is supernaturally placing a fear of the Jews on everyone there that is not a Jew. Yeah, she's asking for a lot. And as the commentator put it, and I quote, the law may not be nullified, but it can be neutralized. And that's what has to happen here. But it's not a neutralization without bloodshed. There will be fighting. In verse 6, she tells her husband that it will break her heart if the Jews are allowed to be slaughtered. Uh, She just won't be able to endure it. Ahasuerus begins his speech by recounting what he's already done for them in the situation. So he begins his answer by saying, Esther, I gave you the house of your enemy to do with what you want. You've given it to Mordecai. And he also had Haman killed, the second most powerful man in the land. And she, she just watched as he just pronounced him dead. And they took him out of that banquet room and they impaled him on that pole. And it's because he stretched out his hands for the purpose of annihilating the Jews, of which Esther is one. I think that was Xerxes' way of saying, look, I have already done some amazing things for you at your request. What makes you think that I wouldn't follow this through? What makes you think that I won't be impressive with what I allow in this, this rebuttal of the law? I think what he means is, why, would I, why wouldn't he see these things through to a good conclusion, a good conclusion for his queen? And now for the second in control in Persia, and that's Mordecai. Ahasuerus authorizes Mordecai to write an official letter to counteract the situation, to neutralize the situation that was caused by Haman's letter. Yeah, that law is still invoked. They can still still go out and try to kill the Jews, but the Jews are going to be armed, and you better be careful. It will be a decree that also cannot be revoked. Now in verses 9 through 14. God provides for the defense of his people. I don't want us ever to think that God is not going to defend us. He will. David made the mistake once in a while of going out and trying to defend himself. And that doesn't work. But when he trusted on the Lord, when he trusted in God to defend him, God always defended him. God provides, but in this case, the Jews are still going to have to pick up a sword and many will. Mordecai issues the edict in exactly an opposite correspondence to what Haman's threat was. The Jews can do the same thing to their enemies that the enemies can do to them. And he allowed them to do it, to destroy, kill, annihilate. And since Haman included women and children, he includes women and children, and to plunder their spoil. So now it's going to be an even contest in terms of what they want. Jews are, we're going to find out, the Jews will defend themselves. They will be putting to death some of their enemies, but not one Jew touched anything that belonged or took the plunder from any unbeliever that they, that they killed. You can imagine that if it was on the other hand and the Jews were taken care of by death, they would have taken everything that they owned. And I think that's a significant difference. They're not in this for the money. And remember, the Jews have no standing army. If they're going to fight, it's got to be by faith. There is great justice in what Mordecai wrote, and the people proved to be more in it for more than the plunder. They wanted to save their lives. They wanted their wives and their children to live, and that's why they did it. This is a royal decree which cannot be revoked once it is distributed, and it is distributed with the same energy, speed, and and, uh, determination that Haman's had. 
The Jews don't get the advantage of striking first, however. I think that's fair. He didn't say, okay, they get a strike on the 13th of Adar, you guys get a strike on the 10th. Nope, nobody can pick up a sword until the 13th. It's going to be even. There is no advantage of a first strike. But they can fight on that day uh, that Haman said they could be attacked. A witness to the power of Yahweh. See, if we get to fight an enemy that can't fight back, then God isn't going to get the credit. But if we have to fight an enemy that can fight back and we win, God is going to get the credit. And he says he's in it in the last verse, even though we don't see his name. The full truth is that Hadassah will ask for an extra day to kill their enemies in Susa in chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. And the king says, how many have we lost so far? And it's unbelievable the thousands of people that died on the 13th of Adar. And now Esther's going to ask for more of his kingdom to be put to death. And he says, have at it. You see what God is doing? God is showing himself powerful, a supporter of his people, a God that is going to help them win against their enemies. So at the end of the day, not only are the Jews saved, but they also have eradicated a pagan country from their enemies. And they're not even a sovereign state. They're not even a sovereign nation. I think that's pretty amazing the way God takes care of his people. Now the Jews have great hope, but something different is happening to their enemies. Something new is happening in the king's throne room. And although I'm sure Xerxes never read it, he should have. Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 5 is what's happening in his courtroom. It says, take away the wicked from before the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. We're starting to see not recklessness anymore from Ahasuerus, but righteousness. Dr. Schmutzer said this, when God meets our individual needs, he, will, he, st I'm sorry, he still intends that we keep working for the needs of other people. So it's not about just taking care of yourself. It's about taking care of other people with the power God gives you to save yourself save others. What our world needs right now, more than anything else, you might disagree, but I doubt it, what our world needs now more than anything else is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't need any more war. It doesn't need any more fighting or any destruction. It needs Jesus. When God provides our salvation, multitudes will suffer his judgment. So they need us now they need us in these days. How do you know that God didn't put you in these end of days for just that purpose? Are you a soul winner? You care about the souls of others. Finally, in verses 15 to 17, the dread from God will fall on his enemies and his people will thrive. Can you possibly imagine the overwhelming relief the Jews had when they got word that, wow, we don't just have to stand around and be slaughtered. We can defend ourselves. Moms and dads are thinking about their kids, and everybody is happy. We at least have a chance. And if God gets involved, they don't have a chance. When the edict showed up, they were joyful. The book doesn't mention Yahweh, but surely there is a God. He may not be telling us everything we want to know today or what's going to happen, but there is a God, and he is at work, and he is powerful. Trust him. Mordecai has taken Haman's place. There is now joy among the Jews everywhere in the kingdom. Xerxes puts him in royal robes. This guy is in charge now. 
We're going to see more of that as we go. Even Gentiles in Susa join celebrating Mordecai's installation as head over all the nobles. I think there is a foreshadowing of God's overall plan for his people. After hardship comes rulership and God's reward for this life. You remember the Bible promises, Jesus promised you and me that we will rule with him forever and ever. You are headed for kingship, and that day will come. Righteousness will win in the end, and righteousness will rule supreme. We will see, and we will be a part of that in the millennial kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, adds, God aids, excuse me, he aids his people in the fight. Here the dread of the Jews falls on the people of the land. And this has to be from God. Look at Exodus 15, 16 for examples of the dread of God falling on people and what happens to them. It says, terror and dread fall upon them by the greatness of your arm, meaning God's arm. They are motionless as stone. In other words, they're paralyzed with fear because of the dread of the Lord in his people until your people pass over, O Yahweh, until people pass over whom you have purchased and then uh, Deuteronomy 11.25 is another example of that. Deuteronomy 11.25. <clears throat> no man will be able to stand before you. Yahweh your God will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land on which you set foot as he has spoken to you. In other words, they're going to be afraid uh, before you ever even get there and they step off of their bus. Joshua uh, chapter what? Chapter 2, verse 9. And he said to the men, I know that Yahweh has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen upon us. This is an enemy of Israel talking. And that the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. Have melted away before you. Well, friends, don't be deceived. God is always in control. Don't forget that. And will take us where he promised. I want you to remember the people under the altar that had been slaughtered in the tribulation period and were actually martyrs for Jesus Christ and they're crying out under that altar, God, when are you going to do something about our blood? When are you going, when are you going to avenge us? And God says, wait. There are still people just like you who have come to know me as Savior, and they must give their life for me too. And when the number of them is complete, I will avenge you. Who knows what God has in store for each of us? Who knows what he may allow us to go through? But the issue is be faithful. Trust him. He is in control. Whatever happens to you, remember to turn it into something for his glory. Don't be deceived. He is in control. We simply continue to do what we're supposed to do. No matter what kind of political policy we are under. Pastor Jack Hibbs of Calvary Chapel in California recently reminded us, Our Messiah does not fly on Air Force One, nor does the seat of our hope rest in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Sorry, my voice is given out here. Avenue. <clears throat> God can and will do miracles that need to be done for the sake of his people, and that's you and me. But some may have to pick up the sword along the way. Jeremiah, when he watched his rebellious people being carried out of Israel to Babylon, out of Judah to Babylon, made this uh, statement in Lamentations 3.24. The Lord is my portion, 
says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. Speaking of the hope that we have in God, I wanted to bring our time around this to a close by reading from 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 31 to 36. God doesn't change, friends. It says in 2 Samuel 22, 31 to 36, As for God, his way is blameless. The word of Yahweh is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides Yahweh? And who is a rock besides our God? God is my strong fortress, and he sets the blameless in his way. He makes my feet like deer's feet, and he sets me on high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend the bow. You have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your help makes me great. What I'd like us to learn are these things for applications that are in your bulletin there. Number one, my friends, Yahweh's power is often evident to unbelievers, and it often draws them to him. When the dread of the Lord fell on the nations, many of them decided to switch religions and join the Jews and became proselytes of Judaism and of the faith they had, they had in Yahweh. Just remember, God will use what's happened to us as a testimony to others. Secondly, when God gives us the upper hand, we must be righteous in how we use our position. If we have a position of power, God holds us responsible to use it responsibly, godly, lovingly. Thirdly, God will ultimately deliver us from all those who hate us someday. And then finally, the words of Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why are you disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. The help of my countenance and my God. So as with another biblical author, remember, be still and know that he is God. You and I serve the most powerful, powerful God of the entire universe. There is none like him. I think that's a great thought to have as we come to a time of communion together. I hope you have your uh, communion cups with you there. I'm going to go ahead and get my bread ready. Let me read from uh, the Corinthians passage in 1 Corinthians 11. And then when I stop, um, we're going to have one of our elders pray for the elements. Becky's going to give us some time to contemplate 